0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. Well, today we begin the series, To the King. So let's turn to Psalm 147, as Dr. Neufeld brings us a message entitled, He Reigns.
1: I'm about to give an illustration that I fear may come back to haunt me. I mean, in terms of criticism. And just so that it doesn't, let me begin with an explanation. I don't consume alcohol, not I nor my wife. I think that's a wise policy, and I think it to be safe and effective policy for all Christians. Well, why? For one, I've never had to explain myself, and I've never scandalized anyone in regard to my behavior. And second, I've therefore never abused alcohol. I can't even tell you if I'm prone to alcoholism or not. And third, I've sure saved a lot of money over a lot of years. Now, having said that, I am told of a group of clergymen, when they get together to talk about the faith, they'll do it in a restaurant and everyone has ordered a round of beer. One of them will then stand up and hold up his stein and quite loudly shout, to the king! And then everyone else will roar, to the king! Now, I found that fascinating. Again, I make no comment about the alcohol involved. I prefer to use my freedom in Christ elsewhere. But I mentioned that not to make a comment on clergymen drinking beer. So if you can get beyond that for just a moment and imagine medieval knights, their steins raised somewhere in a hall where men of that nature gather and one of them shouts, to the king. And as everyone else roars the same words back, it becomes clear that these fighting men are loyal to their monarch. They will not betray their sovereign. Indeed, they will fight for his honor. This is their celebration of loyalty. I like to think of Christians as soldiers with a much higher calling. I have a friend who used to be a Bible smuggler, bringing Bibles into the old Soviet Union. I imagine him with a glass of, well, let's say Perrier in his hand, among the warriors for the gospel, raising his voice to the king. I have another friend who right now is leading seminary classes for pastors in a country where such things are forbidden. If he's arrested, I don't imagine our national diplomats will be able to get him out. He's also seated in the hall of warriors who shouts his approval to the king. Around the world, faithful followers of Jesus stand to their feet and shout their approval to their king. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, indeed. To him alone be the glory, not to us, O Lord, but to you be honor. You are the King. To the King. For this short week, I want to concentrate on two important psalms, psalms that celebrate our King. Psalm 147 and Psalm 2. The second psalm in the book of Psalms and the fourth last. Today, I want to begin with Psalm 147, and when we think of our king, we will have to agree that there is every reason for both expressing to him our praise as well as our loyalty. So let's read the psalm. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers up the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food, and the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem! Praise your God, O Zion! For He strengthens the bars of your gates, He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders, He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Now, before we look at the details of this psalm, let me give you the background, because as we're going to see, it's the background of this psalm that's very necessary for us to understand it. That may seem strange to say, because at first glance, you may wonder how we can know anything about this psalm's background. I mean, after all, we don't know who wrote this psalm, for unlike some of the other psalms, this one has no name attached to it. But we can get a very good sense of when it was written. Look again at verse 2. It says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Now, that reference makes it pretty plain that this psalm was written after the 70 years of captivity of the Jews in Babylon. But then they returned back to their promised land. So let's review the experiences of these people. It was the year 586 B.C. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had ordered his troops to destroy Jerusalem, burn it down, and in so doing, they also burned the temple to the ground. They stole the temple artifacts, anything of value, and then they burned the rest. They also set out to kill people in the streets of Jerusalem. The butchery was so savage, so much so that pregnant women were ripped open and their babies dashed against stones then anyone surviving this was taken as a captive into exile in Babylon except for a few of the poorest of the poor who were left in the land. You have to think of Israel at this point as a traumatized nation. How could such a thing be allowed to happen? But this matter didn't happen by accident. As you read through the Old Testament prophets, one sees very clearly that they not only predicted that this would happen— But they openly declared that it was God himself who ordered the Babylonians to burn Jerusalem down. And the reason? Israel had become an idolatrous nation, and God would punish them for their disloyalty and their betrayal to their king. But this is not all that the prophets foretold. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 25, verse 11 to 12, he predicts there that the Babylonian captivity will last exactly 70 years. And you might remember that event, for as Daniel, one of the captives in Babylon, was praying and reading through the prophet Jeremiah, he came upon this prophecy and immediately went to God in prayer, begging God to fulfill his word. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. But there are more prophecies about this event, very specific ones. You know, for instance, Isaiah, about 150 years before the Babylonian event happened, predicted with amazing precision, not only that Israel would be taken into captivity into Babylon, but seeing beyond that event, he predicted exactly how Israel would be brought back to the promised land. You know, in Isaiah 44, verse 28, we read that God, who can declare something before it happens, who says of Cyrus... He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. See, what's so fascinating here, of course, is not only that Isaiah tells us that this event will happen 150 years before it does, but he actually names by name King Cyrus of Persia long before he was born as the man himself whom God would use to restore Israel to the promised land. Now, those of you who have an interest in this matter, well, you should be able to show your non-Christian friends, at least those who are serious about whether or not the Bible actually is the Word of God. This is but one of many examples where earlier prophets make a very specific prophecy of something that's going to happen, they detail it, and then later in the history of the Bible, their words are precisely fulfilled, and this is exactly one of those events. But let's not get distracted by all these fascinating and faith-building prophecies. Look, we know that after 70 years, just like Jeremiah had promised, a small remnant of Israel came back to the promised land and began the painstaking task of rebuilding an absolutely ruined city. And soon, under the leadership of two men, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the ancient temple was rebuilt. But there was trouble. You know, the entire project was in danger because the enemies of the Jews were planning to burn the newly rebuilt temple down again. And it is here where loyalty to the king is being tested. You know, in the past, whenever Israel was threatened by the nations around them, they turned to the gods of those nations. You know, they assumed that those gods were stronger than the God of Israel. Would history now repeat itself? Or would the exiles be confident in their God knowing that he reigns, would they shout to the king and band together in loyalty to him? This psalm answers that question.
0: God has assigned back to the Bible Canada a crucial mission, to faithfully share the truth of the Bible so that others might be discipled into a deeper relationship with God and your words of encouragement serve as a reminder of that privilege and blessing. Gary recently wrote, thank you for always teaching truth from the Bible as it's meant to be seen, not just flowery, feel good stuff. What an encouragement. In a world where false messages are louder than ever, we must remain steadfast and committed to amplifying God's truth above all else. And we rely on your faithful support gifts and prayers to continue airing trustworthy Bible teaching across Canada through as many means as possible. To donate and help support Back to the Bible Canada's mission or to share your testimony, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 today.
1: rather than falling back to old patterns of unbelief and rebellion. You know, this time the people of Israel fortified themselves to be faithful to their God and to their King. Under the leadership of Nehemiah, they were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem and were protecting themselves. You know, at first the project was in great danger and many doubted that it could be done. And the enemies of the Jews began to mock them. I mean, listen to how that's described in Nehemiah chapter four, verses one to three. It says now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria what are these feeble Jews doing will they restore it for themselves will they sacrifice will they finish up in a day will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. In other words, they're never going to succeed. But they did succeed. Eventually, the wall was finished. Nehemiah 6, verses 15 to 16 tells us this was a miraculous event. It says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, that's the background of Psalm 147. But before we look at the details, I have to make sure that we see one further point of drama. You know, for many of these people, the experience of the destruction of the temple in the first place— And the death of family and friends and their experience in exile and the harsh conditions of living under their enemies, well, it left them heartbroken. They had been deeply wounded, and how do you recover from that? And you can read about that in verse 3. But this sorrow is but an example of how well their heavenly king treated them, because verse 3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You know, many of them lost friends and loved ones who died in these tempestuous times. And they had been told by the former prophets that all these things happened because of their sins. Well, if that's so, that God punishes us, does God still love us? And that was their question. What hope do we have that this won't happen again? Perhaps God's anger against us is not yet over. So let's make application. How does this relate to our experience? Are there any points of connection to us at all? Well, we all sin, every one of us, just like them. But unlike these people, we're not called to suffer for our sins. You see, 1 Peter 3, verse 18 makes that abundantly clear. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So the suffering that Israel endured is but a small matter compared to the sufferings that Christ endured for he did not suffer for his own sins. Remember, he was sinless. Rather, he suffered for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Therefore, the anger of God, which would have us pay the same heavy price as those people then, was now paid by Christ on his cross. Now, our sins are paid for once and for all. So then, is there no point of identification that we, that is, born-again Christians, can find with these people? Well, yeah, there is. Listen to a word from Hebrews 12, verse seven. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You know, the kind of discipline the writer of Hebrews has in mind is a threefold kind of discipline. First, when Christians go through hardships, it's not to pay for our sins. Rather, God graciously allows hardships into our lives in order that we might identify with Christ. Second, we go through hardships because we may be called upon to pay the price of following Jesus, that is, in the form of persecution. And third, we go through hardships, now listen closely to this, we go through hardships so that we might learn the path of holiness. That means that a loving father uses hardship in the lives of those he loves in order to correct our ways. And as we go through hardship, we lose our attachment to this world and our infatuation with sin. It's not punishment, it's discipline, it's correction, it's helping us to see how valuable godliness is. And to put it in terms of this series, we go through hardships so that nothing will be able to separate us from our loyalty to our king, to the king. So in that sense, we can see that our experience is not so different from the experience of these exiles. We also go through hardship, and when we do, we can be as brokenhearted as these people were. I mean, don't you see the reason for our hardship are important But the pain that comes from all hardship also has the potential to leave us brokenhearted so that the passion to live and to love and to accomplish and to achieve and to live with purpose, all of that can be gone. The brokenhearted sometimes lie down and they just can't get up again. And just for argument's sake, imagine you go through hardship that is related to your sin. I mean here things like, you know, divorce because of adultery. You know, or job loss because of sloth or poor ethics at work. Or you've acted unmercifully towards others, and it becomes known, and your reputation takes a beating. Perhaps you've harmed your children, and now they turn against you. Perhaps you've lied, and your lies have been exposed. And perhaps your persistent anger issues have come back to haunt you in broken relationships. Perhaps your self-centeredness and lack of concern for others is leaving you all alone. Perhaps you're a divisive person who's often in conflict, and you soon find many standing in opposition to you. And perhaps you're a gossip, or perhaps you're judgmental, and you now find yourself rebuked. You know, if you're a believer and you sin in this way, are you suffering for your sin? In a real sense, the answer is no. Christ suffered for you. He took the horror of your sins and bore it for you on his cross. He suffered for you even while he did not deserve it. Your king loves you in that fashion. But a loving God who loves you more than you can ever know in mercy is correcting you. He's disciplining you. He will not allow you to remain in your sin because of his love for you. All who are sons and daughters of the king are being trained in the laboratory of suffering. The discipline is intended to train you to prepare for your role of ruling and reigning with our king. Your king has great plans for you. It's so important not to lose heart in the midst of your sorrows. But here's what can happen. When God corrects us so that we might share in his holiness, this correcting process is often painful. We can become brokenhearted and discouraged beyond words. We begin to see our failures and We might begin to doubt, given our sin, that God loves us at all. It's for people such as this that this psalm is written. You know, some of us fail to be loyal to our king simply because we believe that our king has abandoned us. And so unlike the knights of the past who raised a glass to their king and shouted out their loyalty, your lips are quiet. You feel you've betrayed your king and there's nothing for you to shout about. Your head is bowed, and your shame is evident, and your discouragement is more than you can bear. So let this psalm teach you. And you will notice as we go through this psalm that it's easily outlined. It's very easily broken down into three parts, each beginning with an admonition of praise, and then a reason why we should praise God. So let's follow the progression of all three parts. The first section covers verses 1 to 6. This part is filled with promise. God heals the brokenhearted, he lifts the humble, and he encourages them. The second section is in verses 7 to 11. It tells you what pleases God and what it says might surprise you. God is not pleased in your abilities, nor is he disappointed in your lack of abilities. And then the third section, that's verses 12 to 20, reminds us of the amazing power and care of our God. And so for this next week, as we look at two very important psalms, let's raise our glasses to the king. You know, in my case, it's going to be a glass of sparkling water, not alcohol. But I raise my glass and I shout to the king. My sagging spirit is renewed and my loyalty to the great king rises within my eyes, brimming with love for the one for whom I live. Listen, my friend, are you a Christian who has failed? and who fears that your track record leaves you feeling that you're a hypocrite to express loyalty at all. You feel it's not right to shout to the king. And if that is you, Psalm 147, I promise, is going to renew you. It will demand of you that you begin to make a habit of praising your God and that you make a habit of remembering the glories of your king. The praises of your God will continually be on your lips and your broken heart will be renewed again and you will bring glory to your King.
0: John, thanks. Uh, this is going to be a great series. Just wondering, what about those people that uh, maybe in their lives, they've committed some sins, they've asked for forgiveness and all those types of things, but they're holding on to these things. And they find it really, really difficult to, to come to God and even even to worship Him because maybe they just don't feel like they're
1: worthy. Yeah, this, this especially when individuals feel hypocritical because of their sins. If I go into God's presence and, you know, raise my hands, uh, worship among God's people, have that free sense of being in his presence and shouting my praises to him, how can I do that again, knowing how I have betrayed my Savior? Um, I would put to you Peter, uh, who betrayed his own Lord and who was restored by his Savior, Uh, remember that Christ has forgiven you your sins and put your whole worship emphasis on his forgiveness. He restores, he welcomes you, he's accepted you. Christ died for every single one of those sins. Make that a part of your praise and you'll do well. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us
0: tomorrow as we continue in our series, To the King, right here on Back to the Bible, Canada, where we teach the Bible. Do you ever find yourself wanting to spend time with the Lord in His Word, but don't seem to find the time? Well, here at Back to the Bible Canada, we understand some days are hectic and challenging. And that's why we would encourage you to check out our Back to the Bible Canada Bible Minute podcast. Each episode contains a one minute audio Bible teaching message from Dr. John Newfeld. with new episodes Monday through Friday. These are perfect for those moments when you're seeking spiritual encouragement, but time is short so you can download the Bible Minute podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit backtothebible.ca slash apps. For more information, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And thank you to all those who make Bible teaching resources like the Bible Minute available through your gracious gifts.